developmental optometrist, award-winning author, and international speaker, Dr. Lynn Hellerstein holds powerful and inspiring conversations with her guests on Vision Beyond Sight in areas of healthcare, wellness, education, sports, and psychology. They share their inspirational stories of healing and life transformation through their vision expansion. Billions of people have vision problems, and vision is more than 2020. Vision Beyond Sight will help you see with clarity and gain courage and confidence. Your vision does not define you. You define your vision. With Dr. Lin's new way to look at your life through a new lens, you will be ready to meet yourself and receive visualizations for miracles to come. Welcome to Vision Beyond Sight. Hi everyone, this is Dr. Lynn and welcome to Vision Beyond Sight. Today will be part two of the power of visualization. I I presented part one uh, about a month ago and we spoke about how powerful visualization in our lives. Uh, It's not only about creating pictures in our head, but it's really useful for our everyday work, sports, school, play, etc. So part one, and I encourage you to go back and listen to that podcast, really gives you some idea of some of the research on visualization, how it's being utilized anywhere from um, healthcare to mindfulness to learning. Uh, Also, that podcast gives examples of how to learn to visualize. I believe we all visualize the varying degrees. Some of us are very aware of it. Some of us is a whole new concept. Some of us visualize and never knew it by that name. Uh, People might call it part of mindfulness or visual imagery. Um, But please listen to part one just to get some uh, understanding of its power, be it good or bad, and how you can start implementing the visualization strategies in your life. Part two is going to be directed on utilizing these visualization strategies, especially for improving reading, spelling, and creative writing skills. So I'm really focusing today's podcast on academics. Many of you know that I'm a developmental optometrist uh, by training, and for more than 45 years, I've had a private optometric practice where I mainly would see Children referred to us that have learning problems or, or coordination difficulties, crossed eyes, lazy eyes, tracking problems. They may or may not have been uh, identified as being uh, having learning disabilities or dyslexia or many gifted kids that have disparities. And through that work is re- really where I have learned how to implement the visualization strategies. These really bright, gifted kids have taught me how they use visualization and use these gifts in their learning. And so I want to start again by reviewing the definition, the definition that I created of visualization so that we're all kind of on the same page. So if you look at my book, See It, Say It, Do It, you can get this book on Amazon or on my website. And by the way, on my website, lynnhellerstein.com, you'll see a lot of uh, 
meditations, explanations on visualizations, strategies, and you can download a lot of resources at no charge uh, under the resource page on uh, my website, lynnhellerstein.com. So here's the definition that I came up with for this book, See It, Say It, Do It. Visualization is the ability to imagine, sense, become aware of, move, manipulate, and expand the pictures in your mind's eye. And that's classic of what most people think of visualization is the pictures in our mind. However, I go well beyond that and think of visualization as multisensory. So not only is it about the pictures in your mind's eye, it's also the feelings and or senses in your body. So when we're going to talk about visualization, it's not just picturing, because not everybody pictures. They may sense it, feel it, have a gut feeling, a knowing. That's all in the under the umbrella of what I call visualization. Okay? And just a quick review of the see it, say it, do it process, which is the name of my book, but it's also the process I utilize for myself, for my patients, and for uh, my teaching. See it, say it, do it. See it. Visualize. See it in your mind. Or feel it. Know it. But the visualization aspect. Say it. The declaration piece. Do it. Taking action. So I believe almost anything, any challenges we have, we go through this process of see it, say it, do it. It does not have to be in that order. But if we skip one of those three steps, I believe that's where we end up frustrated, not completing tasks. For example, the see it. If you never see your dreams, if you never create where you want to go, and you might say, I want to be successful, or I am, or, and you might start going to college, the do it section, but you never have that dream. You never have that vision of where you're going. That's somebody who's kind of just running in circles, never never going forward, but just kind of running in circles. The say it portion. Now, this is a piece that I leave out frequently. And I'll give you a quick example. The say it is declaration. I often get excited. If I have a new project, I see in my mind how it should be. I start working on the project. But I often don't make that strong say it declaration. I often will just hear all this negative feedback like, you can't do that. That's too hard. I mean, any of you ever hear that voice in your head? And you might say, you know, what voice is she talking about? You know, that's the voice in your head. And so often it can be very uh, disempowering. You can't do it. You're not good enough. Nobody will like you. You know, those kinds of voices. That's a piece I often will leave out. And I'll give you a story, and this story is in my book, uh, in the Say It section, because it was so profound how much I'd leave out the declaration piece. One of my daughters asked me to do a marathon, and I'll do anything I can to, you know, be involved in my daughter's life. And I said, oh, yeah, I'll do a marathon without really knowing how far a marathon was. So I 
immediately after I said yes, and I'm good at saying yes with baggage, I, I could say yes and then have all the negative things. Why did I say that? What should I do now? I shouldn't have said, you know, that's yes with baggage. As you can see, my big challenge in life is learning to say no clearly. Anyways, I said yes, and the first thing I did went to the internet and found out what a marathon was and created a picture in my mind. You always see these pictures at the finish line of you know people pumping their fists. I did it, and so I had this picture in my mind. I put the picture up on my walls. I had a great see it. I had a great visualization of it. I created an action plan, steps, you know, get new shoes, my schedule, and how I'm going to get uh, ready. So I'm seeing it and I'm doing it. But the declaration wasn't there. What I'm saying to myself is, how are you going to ever walk to 26.2 miles? You're never going to make that happen. You know, you're not strong enough. You know, are there going to be enough uh, uh, outhouses? Are you going to have enough food? You know, all of this negative stuff's in my head. And so I start my training. It was in the middle of winter in Denver. And so it was icy. And I'm walking on the treadmill and I don't like walking on the treadmill. And if I got three miles in, that was a lot. You know, I had never even, I don't know I ever walked even 10 miles in my life at one time. And so my training is not going well. And I happened to finally, you know, get frustrated. I put on some CDs and it was actually from Dr. Deb Sandella, who's a psychologist working with Jack Canfield, many of you might know him as a, a huge business coach. And they have a whole series of CDs on, on success in life. And it was about visualizing and, and taking action and declaration. As I started listening to these CDs, I upped my time on the treadmill to about five or six miles just by listening to something that was empowering to me and not listening to my negative voice while I'm on the treadmill. So I'm up to five, six miles, but still I haven't walked very far. And I decided one day I'd take a long walk outside. And I'm walking outside again, like, this is only five miles. Oh, this is going to take too long. How am I ever going to even get to 10 miles? And I'm not a marathoner. Why did I say yes? You know, all of that. You ever had those conversations that just seem to consume your thought process? And I'm walking and walking, and I go, I'm not a marathoner. And then all of a sudden, I hear this voice in my head. You are a marathoner. And I stop and look around, and it's like, who just said that? And there was nobody around. And I realize that was a voice of myself. <clears throat> I am a marathoner. Now, I couldn't say that and believe it. I started by, I'm a marathoner. No, you're not a marathoner. And then I realized, you know, I am a marathoner. Every day in my life is a marathon. Taking the kids to school, going to work, writing my reports, getting the kids to bed, doing their home. You know, that's a marathon every day. Who said a marathon has to be 26.2 miles? And after I realized that about myself, I could say and believe it. You have to believe your declaration. If you can't say it and say it with belief, it's not powerful. It won't work. And after that moment, I could say, I am a marathoner. And after finally saying that, 
my practice totally changed. I could walk further. I could walk longer. And, you know, fast forward to the end of the marathon, we finished that marathon. And I remember just, I saw the picture in my head. And at the end, we, you know, pumped our fists. We completed it. It was great. We were happy. And it was really the signature story in my chapter about declaration that if you don't have all three parts, and again, it doesn't have to be in that order, but if you're missing a part, if you don't have to take action, you're just a dreamer. If you have the declaration, you're fighting yourself the whole time with this negative talk. But when you do the see it, say it, do it, you get the ta-da, the transformation in your life and the step forward. And that's what took me to really applying this kind of work with the kids. How can we help our children learn best? You know, Einstein has a quote, if I can't picture it, I can't understand it. And as I started doing research for my book, I ran into a book called How Your Child Learns Best by Dr. Judith Willis, who's an MD, neurologist turned middle school teacher. And she wrote about the brain-friendly strategies to ignite your child's learning and increase, and increase school success. And it was, again, about using, she, she goes even further than I did, but a lot of visualization, creating imagery in our head. She explains through neurological um, demonstrations that if you're in stress mode, if you're anxious about your test, if you're feeling stupid that you can't take your test, you're just not in the right part of your brain to be resourceful in knowing the information you need to pass your test. And that when you start understanding how your brain functions and get into the resourceful parts of your brain so that you can learn, you can remember, you can process, that's how you will increase your school success. And a quote from her her book is, students learn to do visualizations deliberately recalling in detail a place where they felt happy, safe, and calm. And if you review my first visualization uh, podcast, we do a little meditation where it's very important that when you're doing this work, in your mind, you need to go to a place where you're safe and calm. And that can be you know, in your room, it can be in the mountains, it can be wherever you want it to be. But that is so important to be in a place where you feel safe and calm. So let's start now with applying the visualization and see it, say it, do a process to some of the academics. Let's look at reading. You know, what is the purpose of reading? The purpose of reading is to get the picture in the writer's head into the reader's head. In other words, if I'm the author, I create a book, I have a picture in my mind, and that's my story that I've written. And my purpose is to help you understand and create the story in your head. So we're talking about reading, really taking that written language into imagery. You know, when I give courses to reading teachers and I'll say, how many of you love to read? Only about half of them raise their hands. And the other half say they don't like to read. When I ask the teachers that love to read, When you're reading, do you actually notice the words in print? What do you think they say? They go, no, no. They notice the story or the movie or the pictures of the story. 
the poor readers or the ones who don't like to read talk about they just see print. And, you know, print is boring. Just seeing print is boring. The real love, those of you who love to read, the real love of reading comes from creating the pictures in our mind, the story. Many great readers will say, don't, I don't want to see the movie before I read the book. Now, those of you who don't like to read go, are you kidding? The movie's full of detail and pictures, and that's, I love it. Well, no wonder. The, the movie gives you the imagery, whereas when you're reading, you're not getting that translation of written language into imagery. And that's a problem. And so reading is all about creating imagery from written language. Sure, you need to know how to decode. In other words, figure out words. When you're reading for fluency, you can't be decoding. I mean, if you're having to figure out words, you're not reading fluently. You're not going to get pictures. But decoding is certainly an important part of learning how to read, learning how those speech sounds are represented by symbols or letters. And that's something your teacher, your tutor, you know, those folks are going to help you with by all means. You need to read no sight words. If you don't know like I, you, you know, words that don't sound, you can't sound it out. You need to know many sight words. So you need decoding, you need sight words. That's what you learn in the, you know, primary, kindergarten, first, maybe second grade. But comprehension is really what's most important about reading. If you don't understand what you're reading, then why bother reading? You know, when I have a parent tell me, oh, my kid's a great reader. The only thing is he can't comprehend. It's kind of like, you know, what's the purpose of reading? The other kind of skill that we're looking at reading is fluency. And that's where many, many teachers start talking about, you know, telling parents uh, what difficulties their kids have in reading. It's all based on comprehension. And and comprehension uh, is, again, getting that understanding of the story. I would rather have a kiddo that has terrible fluency but comprehension but what's being measured is the fluency and the parents are told he doesn't read fast enough practice 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 and that's where if you have a lot of tracking and focusing problems and all those kinds of things you're not going to be able to be very fluent or if you've had trouble figuring out words and knowing sight words you're not going to be very fluent fluent so to get your fluency you need good visual efficiency skills, the tracking, the focus, the eye teaming, all the things that I do as an optometrist, I look at and evaluate. You need that. You need to know all the words on the page. And to practice fluency, practice on a really easy book so that you can really go smoothly. If you have to figure out words on the page, it's not going to work for fluency. So if you're reading hard books, and learning how to decode words and whatever, great. But that's not the time that you read fluently. You need to practice fluency both orally and silently. You know, often kids do pretty well silently, but you don't know it unless you do a reading fluency test. But when they read orally, the stress is so much, they're so fearful of being corrected, of looking bad or looking in their minds stupid. When they read orally, they just have such a, a fear of that. And that's where see it, say it, do it can be so important. 
we can have them visualize. I'll ask a little one, you know, I had a little like seven-year-old in my exam chair and she was reading and she was so scared. And I said, well, why are you crying? I just asked you to read something. And she said, all oh, the kids are making fun of me and I'm so embarrassed. And, and so what we did, so I said, all right, forget the reading. Let's do this little fun game. Let's pretend, I mean, what do you like to do best? If I said, you get to play, what would you do? And she said, oh, I'd go swimming. I said, great, let's pretend we're swimming. So we pretend like we're splashing around in the pool. You know, she stops her crying and we're splashing around. I said, here, catch this. And I pretend that I'm throwing her a little book. She said, what is that? And she, I said, it's a magic book. Look, you can dunk it underwater. And she looks at it and she goes, wow, can I look inside? Now, this is a kid who hates reading. She just asked me to look inside of a book. I said, okay. So she looks inside and we pretend like we're reading. And that became her visualization before she ever read to her parents to school. She got to take a little jump into the water, swim around, and read the book. Remember, you go to a place where you're safe and calm. That was her safe and calm book. She got to jump in, swim around, and read from the water. And for her, that was so much fun. She didn't need to tell everybody what she was doing, but that was her secret way of getting herself prepared, being safe and calm to do reading. So that's just one of the tricks how the See It, Say It, Do It process works. She proclaimed herself, I am a reader, and she started working on her reading. So we're going to take a break here in just a few, few seconds here. And I want you just to take a few breaths. Put yourself in a nice, safe, calm place. Enjoy this few uh, minutes break. And when we get back, we'll learn some more strategies for um, applying these for schoolwork and success in life. Dr. Lynn will be right back after this. Discover the power of the seeing brain, the creator of your true vision. Dr. Lynn Hellerstein's number one bestseller book, Expand Your Vision, helps you see with clarity and gain courage and confidence. Remove roadblocks and visualize your new lens to see and experience your world. Get Expand Your Vision on Amazon or visit lynnhellerstein.com. Developmental optometrist, award-winning author, and international speaker, Dr. Lynn Hellerstein holds powerful and inspiring conversations with her guests on Vision Beyond Sight in areas of healthcare, wellness, education, sports, and psychology. They share their inspirational stories of healing and life transformation through their vision expansion. Vision Beyond Sight will help you find clarity in your functional vision and expand the power of your seeing brain to gain courage, confidence, and success in your life. Join Dr. Lynn each week for a new, exciting episode, Vision Beyond Sight. 
Can your child organize, really organize? Parents and teachers will have practical step-by-step strategies and templates to help get their children organized with Dr. Lynn Hellerstein's Organize It Workbook. Increased organizational skills create success and confidence in school, sports, and life. Get Organize It on Amazon or visit lynnhellerstein.com. Welcome back to Vision Beyond Sight. Here's Dr. Lynn. Hi, everyone. Welcome back. Hopefully you had a a nice few minutes of just relaxing in your safe, calm spot and visualizing. So uh, the first part of this podcast, we had fun utilizing visualization for reading tasks. Now let's move into how we could utilize these strategies for spelling. You know, many schools these days are not teaching spelling. Um, And it's interesting because, as we know, English is not a very phonetic spelling language. Uh, If you were Spanish, you could spell relatively well if you sounded out the words. But in English, uh, there's so many rules and changes. And it's just not, if you spell phonetically, which many kids will, and that's how they're taught initially for their writing, spell, just spell the way you hear it. It's great, and you get your story out. But then who's going to correct the spelling? Now, a lot of people say, oh, I don't have to worry about it. My computer uh, will spell check. Well, I've seen some kiddos and adults that their spelling so atrocious that even spell check can't pick up those errors. So, um, you know, I think spelling still plays an important role in written language. And this is a method that we developed after really watching how many of our best spellers spell. And they explain that they spell by seeing the words in their head. And remember, if you'll go back to the first podcast on visualization, not everyone sees neon lights. Like if I say, see a word in your head, they may not see the word. They may have a sense of knowing, but a feeling. But but we still make an assumption that there's some kind of an imagery going on. So when we start spelling, we'll play several games. One of the games is called short, tall, long letters. Now, this is going to be a task. Normally, I demonstrate this with slides or handouts and being on radio. I'm going to have you try to visualize what I'm saying. So I want you to imagine the alphabet, the the alphabet letters, uh, the small letters, not the caps. And I want you to look at like an old handwriting paper where you'd have two dark lines and in the middle there was a kind of a dotted line. So when you were learning how to write, the goal was for the short letters, it was below that dotted line, and the tall letters were up to the top line, and the long letters were below the bottom line. So, for example, imagine on that handwriting paper the letters A and C. Those are small letters that are uh, underneath that half line. Whereas the letters H and L are tall letters, H, L, T, B, that go above the line and the long letters would be G-Q-Y-P okay so we would play a game 
of, I want you to imagine the word, let's say an easy word, cat. So see the word cat in your mind. Now, when you're seeing in your mind, it's easier to either like look straight ahead or kind of have your eyes looking upward. That seems to help you trigger to getting into visualization. It could be eyes open, eyes closed. But if you're kind of looking down or in your body posture is all scrunched up, it's going to be very hard to try to uh, stimulate a picture. So, so sit up, kind of look and look like you're staring off in space and a little bit up. And now see the word cat. Now, what I want you to do is spell it not by the letters in cat, but tall, short, long. So cat would be short, short, tall. Right? Okay. Let's think of the word short. You can write that word on a pretend card. And now let's spell it using the tall, short, short, long. So short would be short, tall, short, short, tall. S-H-O-R-T, if you wrote that out, all in, don't use cap letters right now. Okay. Now, the real trick of knowing if you're really visualizing is to play the trick of spelling the word backwards. Okay, and you can spell it equally. Uh, just the actual letters, or you could spell it using the tall, short, long game. So let's go back to the word cat. Okay. What we would do is write the word cat on a card and use colored pens, colored markers, you know, make it colorful. And then you'd hold the word out from the person, like, you know, hands length out and up. And they can draw the letters with their eyes. They can use their hand to draw it in the air. Then we say, okay, take a picture of that word. And just spell the word on your card for me. And they would hopefully say C-A-T. Or if you're doing tall, long, short, they would say short, short, tall. Then I would say, okay, spell the word backwards. They often open their eyes and go, I can't spell it backwards. I said, no, no. I want you to just look at the word in your mind that you took a picture of and just tell me the letters going from right to left backwards. T-A-C. Okay. Now, some people might say, what if I don't see it? Well, then let's use color. Colors help trigger the brain stimulation. Let's say we keep putting a wrong letter in there. Let's say we spell it C-E-T. That's where a color marker, you know, use glitter, use a different color, make the missed letter stand out bold, okay? You can also do games like drawing a box around the word. So if I were to draw a box, first I draw the bottom line, underneath all the letters and then up on the going up on the C and then across the C and A and then to go to the T I have to go and draw a higher box and then come back on the side of the T so now cat has a shape okay can you think of another word that would fit in the shape that we just drew of cat well I'm thinking of mat can you think of another word? 
what, and you can play games. This is a great card game. You know, you can make up a word. And then you can say, okay, look at the shape of that word. Figure out another word that fits that shape. Okay. Here's a good example how, you know, take the word pay. Okay. Make the shape of that word. Now, that word is long, short, long. Make the box of it. Okay. Now, let's say you wanted somebody to spell the word play. Go ahead and make the box around play. And that's a long, tall, short, long. And see it. First, you can see it on paper, on a card, and then you can see it in your mind. But let's say that person keeps spelling play P-A-L-Y. How do you help them learn it differently? Well, this is where, you know, make the shape of P-A-L-Y. That's a different shape. Take that A and L and make those letters in different colors. And let's say the L's are red and the A's are green. Just the color will help trigger the order of the letters. But the real trip again comes from spelling the word backwards. All right, let's try this. I'm going to give you a task. I'll do along with you as I'm broadcasting. My name is Hellerstein. H-E-L-L-E-R-S-T-E-I-N. Go ahead and write it out. Now, when I first did this, I could not spell it backwards. I couldn't see the whole long Hellerstein. And somebody said, why are you holding the picture in your mind so close? Move your picture in your mind further away from you. It's like, oh, I can see the whole word now. Or you could break it up in syllables or however you want to break it up. Hellerstein. Now, you can write it down. You can check me. I don't have it written in front of me. I'm going to spell it in my mind backwards. Okay? N-I-E-T-S-R-E-L-L-E-H. Now, you could hear how I saw it. I saw it. I had broken it up in hell or steen. And I spelled backwards the steen part, the E-R part, and then hell. You could hear it in my voice. If somebody stopped, they may go N-I-E. Uh, it's E and you watch them and their eyes are going back and forth and you can hear they lost their picture and then you say, oh, you lost your picture. Let's go back and recreate. If they can't do it, it's too much. You have to go back to simpler, simpler, simpler words. Start reinforcing that, getting better, and then use longer and longer words. You'll be shocked. You'll be shocked. It's a great trick. People think you're a genius when you can do it. And all you're doing is, it's like writing the word out, and people say, you're cheating because you're seeing it in your head, and I go, uh, yeah, <laughs> that's how you study. I remember I had a little kiddo who was so good at spelling visualization, and um, he told me, he says, I can't use it in school. I said, why? It works so well. You spell so accurate when you, you, you know, see it in your head like that. He goes, it's cheating. All the answers are written in my head. And I go, that's what studying's about. That's how it's supposed to work. So anyways, summary, summary for spelling. See the picture in your mind. Take a picture of the, world, of the word in your mind. Describe it by using long, tall, short, or the shapes. 
write the word in the hand in your um, write the word in the air, and then make sure you write it down on paper. So many people I see they practice, you know, like at the kitchen table, they spell it correctly with mom and dad. They go to school and mess it up. Spelling is really a see it write it, write it task. And if you look in my uh, see it say it do it book, there's a whole activity, and it's called see it, then write it. You need to get that motor response to feel it so that it'll come out accurately when you're writing in school. Okay? All right, let's move on to math. Now, when it comes to math, some people, you say math and they freak out. Like, I don't do math. Some of my best reading tutors that I refer kids to, first thing they say, oh, yes, I love working with kids that are dyslexic. Reading problem, I don't do math. I mean, just like that. Like, why don't you do math? And a lot of times, they just have this perception of how hard math is. So let's think about what is math. Well, first of all, people think math is math facts, and a lot of kids can't remember the math facts. We'll go through a quick visualization of how to remember math facts. And so they may be great at understanding the spatial concepts of math, and they understand how things go together, and they can go, you know, figure out many math problems in their head but they're not sequential learners. And so you can give them a math problem, the kid tells you the answers, and then the, the teacher comes back and saying, he's in remedial math, he's so poor. And you go, "That's well, that doesn't make sense. He is so good in understanding legals and shapes and forms and puzzles and all the things that are pre-math concepts. But they may have problems with the math facts. They may have problems because of the stress of tests time tests and the anxiety around that. And many, many, many kids I see are struggling in math because so much of math now includes reading like story problems and they have reading problems. Then all of a sudden they can't do math because they can't read the story. They may have problems because they have handwriting difficulties and they misalign their columns. So when they try to add multiple numbers, you know, for addition, subtraction kinds of things. They're putting the wrong numbers in the wrong columns. And by the way, one of the quick fixes for that is to give those kids uh, like college-ruled notebook paper, (laughs) assuming they have notebook paper at school now, and have them turn it 90 degrees so that they have the lines going vertically. They could put their math problem one number per space between the lines that happen. It keeps them really well organized. Um, for their math uh, problems, okay? But you can also do a visualization, just like we did on spelling. You could do a similar math fact visualization. The way you do that is to draw a triangle, and then let's let's do, you know, one of the hardest, let's say, multiplication. You can do it for addition, too, but let's do one of the hardest multiplication facts is 7 times 8 is 56, so visualize this. You're going to draw out a triangle on a card. And on the left bottom corner, put 7, then a little x times, and then 8 on the right corner. Then on the sides of the triangle, make little division signs. And on the top of the triangle is 56. Then you hold up the card, just like you did spelling, and have them take a picture of it. Then I take it away, and I'll say, and I'll point to the pretend card in space. What is this number? And they go, seven. What's that number? Eight. And I say, hmm, what's seven times eight? And let's say they say 54. I have them look at it, and then again, we make that six 
with glitter with different colors so that it sticks out in their mind next time they look at it. Okay, and we have them take another picture. Take it away. What's seven times eight? 56. Great. What's eight times seven? Then they go, oh, I don't know. I don't do my eights yet. I say, I don't care. <laughs> Just look at your picture. What's eight times seven? They go, 56. Go, yeah, great. What's 56 divided by seven? They go, oh, we don't do division yet. I said, I don't care. Just look at your picture. And they go, eight? So you can see how I'm just getting getting rid of, you know, asking a question like they should know division. I don't care if they know division. Just look at the picture. And they have just learned how many math facts? Seven times eight, eight times seven, 56, you know. They've learned this whole cluster of math facts through imagery. So that's a great way to work on your math facts. Okay. Just because of time, we're going to move on quickly to uh, creative writing. You know, if you remember your kids, when they were in like kindergarten, first grade, writing stories, they spent more time on making a picture, drawing a beautiful picture, coloring it in, and then writing a few words about their picture. Well, that is really what creative writing is. It's writing about the pictures you've created. And the more detail your picture had, the more you have to write about. Now, many kids have wonderful stories. They could tell you a story and go on and on and on. And then you say, write this story and you get like maybe a sentence, maybe. Why is that? Well, there's a number of reasons. One. The kiddos may have visual motor, eye-hand coordination problems, so handwriting is really a challenge. Many of these kids that I see are very bright, and their hand just doesn't work as fast as their mind. So it's like having a computer that's hooked up to an old dot matrix printer where the computer is going a million miles an hour and the printer is so slow and it's frustrating. And again, see it say do it. They see themselves so slow. And so we go through the whole see it say do a process, how to visualize the completed task, you know, some declaration and then practice on the writing or remediate the visual motor skills. But again, visualization and writing is so in writing is so important. It's about write about your pictures and let it flow. You know we're close to being uh, out of time here, and I want to just no, want you to know there's so many other ways that you can use visualization. Test anxiety. So many of the kids and adults get so stressed. And if we could go through a whole breathing activity, a relaxation activity, seeing ourselves successful you would just be shocked what a difference it makes for testing, for stressful situations, etc. If you want to know more about how to use visualizations, especially for academics and stress, please check out both my website, lynnhellerstein.com, as well as my books, the foundation book where most of the basic strategy comes from the see it, say it, do it. Visualize declare, and take action. And I want you to just take a moment just to breathe in and out for a few seconds. Go to a nice, safe, calm place wherever you are truly your essence. And I want you to imagine what would you do if you knew you would be outrageously successful? And just spend a few seconds there 
And just know it's time to make a difference for you, your kids, and your students. And you have that power within. Practice the see it, say it, do it process. And celebrate in all the tadas, all the transformations as you take the next step in your journey. Remember, your vision doesn't create you. You create your vision. Thanks so much for being with me today. It's been fun. And we'll see you again for another podcast soon. Bye-bye now. Thank you for joining us today on Vision Beyond Sight. Join Dr. Lynn Hellerstein each week to help you find clarity in your functional vision and expand the power of your seeing brain to gain courage, confidence, and success in your life. Remember, your vision does not define you. You define your vision. For more information and find additional podcasts, visit lynnhellerstein.com. See you next time on Vision Beyond Sight.